All right, everybody. We're here to give you more content. Fortunately for us, the content continues. But unfortunately for our men and women that are out there right now, it's too much content to cover. And the public who really needs the cops out there is getting hurt because morale is down. So John and I had a podcast. I think it was maybe one or two episodes ago. We were talking about the morale and the mass exodus, how the correlations coming together, and that the real issues have been avoided on being discussed, specifically the vaccine mandate. And also, it's my opinion that CCRB is a major contributing factor towards the mass exodus of cops and also uh, why we're getting mass exodus for retention. So it's, it's my opinion that these are just some of the contributing factors. And here... We had done a podcast, I think the episode, like I said, was about two, two episodes ago, where we talked about this mass exodus and how Pat Lynch is trying to put out a message that it's in correlation to the, uh, to the cops not getting a contract or a fair contract. And John and I know it's totally farce because back in 2007, the most ridiculous salary was put on the table for the new police officers for 25100 And back then... Men and women were killing each other to get this job. It was a noble job. They wanted it. They were proud to do it. They didn't care that they were making a, a, a minutia, I, I mean, a minced salary. They didn't care, but they were taking the job because it wasn't about money. It was about a noble profession. It was about a calling. It was about men and women having an opportunity to serve their community as police officers. And eventually, I always title the name because it's really important. And it's proud to get that name, Cops. But here we are. There's another article that just surfaced. Piggybacking. I'm a firm believer. It's a, it's a piggyback of information that John and I have provided in regards to the mass exits. And it does touch on some major issues that are legit. But still, again, I, I think that this article and, and a lot of stuff that has been spoken about with Pat Lynch is Swiss cheese. And what I mean by that, Swiss cheese, the comparison here is there's too many holes in it. We need to cover all the bases. And there's, there's way too many holes. There's a lot of information missing. So I think John and I were going to discuss this article and give an opportunity to really insight, because I think a lot of this talks about what's going on. But I don't think it really talks about why and how. And that's something that's really important when it comes to content is why and how. So you really get a better understanding. All right. So I'm a firm believer that part of the mess exodus is a correlation of these things. But the executives out there, if you're listening, the politicians out there that are implementing policy, that really, you're in charge of the New York City Police Department. You should be embarrassed by this because I'm a firm believer that it's, it's not a job that men and women leave, that the problems are with the job. I'm a firm believer that they leave because of bad leadership. So please, I, I may be insulting you on this, but it's reality. Take the time. To look yourselves in the mirror and say to yourselves, what are we doing here? Why are we not having a problem? Why are we not saying we are having a problem? But the rank and file is having a problem. We have bad leadership. It's time to turn things around. I've been asking for someone, please. One of our 60-year-old men and women that are near retirement, you can make $20,000 a month, please. It's better to die for something than, than to live for nothing. Take a stand. Tell the public exactly what's going on. Tell them John and I are right or tell them, that, tell them that we're wrong. But please, all I ask you is someone come out and speak the truth. Yeah, I mean, we've had plenty of chiefs get uh, forced out 
recently and and in the short term and you know i don't see even them speaking out they're holding on for i guess their next commissioner job or whatever they're looking for so chiefs any is out there um that are retired you know i know you guys did well for a very long time the end of your career was tough just like the end of all our careers but uh you're welcome on here to either debunk what we're saying or to back us up whatever whatever you choose um and uh you know we would appreciate that so we're going to get into this article that came out in the New York Post. Um, forced overtime, nepotism, low morale, perfect storm for disaster at the NYPD. This article is written by Gabriel Fonrouge, Tina Moore, and Craig McCarthy. It starts off when Jason decided to join the NYPD in the early 2000s. He did it because he wanted to chase down bad guys, seek justice for vulnerable crime victims, and above all, help the people who needed it the most. But these days, the longtime cop has been disillusioned with the job, and he's counting the days down until he can hang up his badge and retire. I hate it. I can't speak enough terrible things about it, Jason told the Post during a recent interview. I want to be free, free of this mental abuse that I've been through. I don't wish this profession upon anyone. The Post spoke with 14 current members of the NYPD, including patrol cops, detectives, sergeants, and lieutenants spanning a wide range of ethnicities and time on the force who painted a picture of a department in crisis. Dim, what do you think about Jason, what, what he said there? Have you heard anyone in, in the same sentiments? I hate it. I can't speak enough, th- uh, enough about how much I hate it. I want to be free of this abuse. I wouldn't wish this profession on anybody. Well, let's talk about something really quick before we actually go into the synopsis of this particular paragraph, the introduction of this story. We can all assume right now and make the assumption that Jason is not his real name, right? Or her name. I'm pretty confident it probably is a male copy using the the gender like when it comes to the name, but we can pretty much assume that Jason is not the real name. And unfortunately, this whistleblower here this particular cop that has an opportunity to speak out has to hide their identity because of the profession that they're in. And, and that definitely correlates to myself with all the CCRBs I experienced and the uh, pitfalls of the job. I didn't have an opportunity to speak out until retirement. So uh, Jason or whatever your name is, we're here to speak for you. But based on the introduction right here, I mean, that, that one word really sticks in my line, sticks in my mind, disillusion. And that's exactly what's going on. Because I'm sure it, it sounds like Jason has uh, a substantial amount of time on the job. Does it say how much time he has on the job? It says early 2000. So he's, he's got to be right around us or even at 20. Yeah. So here he is. He's a veteran and he's near retirement. And yet probably, I'm going to assume he probably has two to three years left. So those two to three years probably feel like forever. Because now he's coming to work. That's exactly what I've been talking about. He's having anxiety on his way to work, thinking about how does he avoid doing his job the entire day so that he can go home successfully. So that's the stress in the job right now. And, and, and it's unfortunate. I don't know what position he's in. All right. There's a C for every S on this job. He could be in a you know, very high volume, high speed type job. He could be doing narcotics. He could be doing neighborhood safety teams, or he could be doing some type of administrative desk job. But right now, I think it's at the point where the New York City Police Department as a whole, 
that there's really there's no particular seat that you can have where you're not feeling the pitfalls of the job right now. And it's unfortunate. This is an opportunity where Jason should be excited, thinking about his next career options. He should be able right now being excited about teaching the experience that he has onto the new cops and passing the torch and really enlightening on his tenure. But here he's disillusioned with it. And, and what that means also is that he feels that he's in the dark right now. He doesn't know where this job is headed. He doesn't even know what his role is anymore. And, and, and I can tell you that I, I felt the same way in the last year. Here we had training implemented and administered in a certain way for so many years of how we should apply police work, particularly with the broken windows theory. And you felt good. You felt like you were helping the community. And here, Jason's at a point, a pinnacle point in his career where he's actually probably looking at the mirror saying, how did I become the bad guy? Because I remember asking those questions. How my intentions were to come here, help people. How did I get to this point? So disillusion, that is an accurate word, I, I believe, at this point with where he's at in his career. Yeah, just to piggyback what you're saying, I mean, I don't know anyone other than the upper echelon of the job that'll actually sit there and tell you that this is a good job and you should stay past your 20th year, other than high-ranking executives who are making a significant amount of money and not really exposed to the pressures of the job, like the everyday men and women, even the the captains going down. Um, So, you know, I, I think that, you know, I've heard that statement several times you know i vested out two years early um i was forced to vest out two years early but i you know i left two years early and since that time i have spoken with supervisors detectives all people that have been promoted discretionarily so second grade first grade detectives sergeant special assignment sergeant detective squad lieutenant special assignment lieutenant lieutenant uh commander detective squad and they called me to ask me how to vest out. And I thought that was <laughs> insane, you know, um, I, you know, and, you know, and I, and I always told everyone, don't do it. It's the worst financial move you could make. However, if you are re- legitimately going to work every day and you can't take it anymore, then it's time to leave. It's not your life isn't worth you know, there's, there's plenty of things like the, the job isn't the end all be all. And with suicide rates so high, um, you know, I, I field a lot of phone calls each week, uh, and I could tell people are going through it. And I, uh, you know, I think it's something that's, that's so largely, uh, ignored by the job as much as they, as much as they claim to give a shit, they, they make it worse and worse mentally for cops. Um, so I'm going to continue on. This is another cop. You're abused by your own brothers and sisters in blue and harassed to the point of having thoughts of suicide, then have to deal with the hate from the community while still dealing with everyday life stresses, said Mark, an NYPD cop. I hate this job. Since 2020, a staggering 9,180 officers have left the job, 36% of whom quit before they were eligible for their full pension. And the NYPD is on pace to see more than 4,000 cops retire or resign this year. Not to take away from 
Mark's statement here because it's very impactful what he said. But I just want to say again, the numbers should be broken down by how many that were forced out or terminated or retired over this mandate or resigned over it. And it's not in this article. And 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 that in itself is 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 a travesty because again, I will say it. The number one reason people have left this job, including all the abuses that we're going to talk about here, the number one reason goes back to that vaccine mandate. And that weighs so heavily on everything that we're going to talk about in this article, because it just highlighted the fact that nobody gives a shit about you, your religion, your opinion, your medical health or your mental health. Nobody cares. Do it. You're a number. And if you don't want to do it, get out. We'll find someone to replace you. And we're coming to find out that's not true. We're coming very far to find out that that's not true. So, Dim, what do you think about Mark's statement? You're abused by your own brothers and sisters to the points of having thoughts of suicide and then dealing with the stresses of life. Well, you know what? The statue goes back. I used to tell my people, I don't forget, I used to tell them that life is a balance. And I would say, you know, sometimes home is up and sometimes work is down. And sometimes work is up, sometimes home is down. And, and what I meant by that is, you know, if there's things that, if there's things going on at home, maybe financial stress or stress with the family, maybe uh, your wife, you and your wife are not getting along. You're not, we're not seeing eye to eye in certain things or whatever. If you're, if you're a woman cop and not seeing eye to eye with your husband, there's financial stresses. And you had an outlet by going to work and you were with your brothers and sisters, the camaraderie was there. So that's where you would find the morale. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, things would be on a downslope at work and then at home, things would be good. So that you find that balance, but exactly what you're saying is scary. What's going on? And it's definitely a leading factor to stress and even suicide amongst the police department. And and I, and I understand it because I'm a veteran and I've seen uh, I've seen a mass amount of suicide in my lifetime. It's unfortunate, but 22 veterans commit suicide a day. At this point, here we are in 2022. Two, 22 veterans commit suicide a day. So transitioning to the police department, I've seen mass suicide and I, and I only see it getting worse. I actually uh, volunteered myself to take some suicide courses to help fellow men and women. Uh, I'm not a member of PAPA, but I have taken some courses for PAPA, which is a police organization to help uh, men and women uh, who have potential intentions on, on committing suicide. And, or maybe just someone who needs to talk, need help. But there's, there's a reason, my theory, in my opinion, and actually what I saw. So I believe the world is at a point where it's divided. It's divided by identity politics. It's divided by men and women that have views on the right. And we have men and women have views on the left. And right now, we're at a point where the job is divided. And some of it does take part in politics and how men and women view the world. Some men and women view it on the right side and some view it to the left. But we never had politics as a basis for our point of view in doing police work until now. And part of that, what's happening. So, John, you and I, we were trained in the era uh, of broken windows policing, addressing quality of life. And we went out there and we hit the pavement on foot. We got to know the community. 
We got to know the bad guys. We targeted the bad guys. Our mission was to target these violent perpetrators to help the community. And it was as simple at the time. We didn't have the tools, right? Because we're new, we're rookies, we're on foot. But we knew, hey, listen, that guy over there, that's a drug dealer. He's hurting the community. He's a bad guy. If that guy is urinating in public, he's getting a summons. Because even it's low level, that helps the community. So we were trained a certain way, and we conducted police work a certain way. So here we are, some odd years later, and everything has changed. So we have a divide on the job. We have two errors in the same generation of police work here. So guys like yourself, John, you and myself were trained a certain way, and they're doing police work a certain way. But now we, it's divided. We have a group of men and women who have worked through the de Blasio administration and they've been trained completely different in the way we were trained. So we have police officers who came in under the Bloomberg era and police officers under the de Blasio era. And they were on the same job. We both wear NYPD patches. We're all New York city police officers. However, we have completely different point of views on how to conduct police work and what the mission is. And so what I saw towards the end of my career, the latter part of my career, particularly in the last two years, is the young cops did not understand how myself and the teams operated and why we did what we did and, and the manner in what we did it, why we had the tactical plans that we did, why we made numerous arrests, why we address it, why we address quality life conditions. They didn't understand it, why we made numerous arrests. And, the, and there was substantial reason. The reason why we make numerous arrests is to gain information, gather information, and to garner intelligence, because the more information is the more keys to success than apprehending violent perpetrators that affect the community. And unfortunately, with the new era that was under the de Blasio administration, they didn't understand that. They, and and, and it's, it's not to their fault. It's always about leadership. They were trained about community policing. And unfortunately, community policing, I, I feel anti-crime cops and active police officers are doing community policing. But the way that it was taught to them and the way that they understood it was going to basketball games, talking to the public, shaking hands, taking pictures to show on Twitter, hey, I'm taking pictures with the community. And so they didn't understand the tactics, the tactics of going out and addressing these small quality life conditions to help the community. So I, I really feel this divide in the job and the young does not understand the veterans. And when I say young, I don't mean young in age, but young in the job anywhere up to about eight years on the job right now because of the Blasio administration. They don't understand the veterans on the job and how they do police work. And, and so we see a lot of that these young police officers kind of whistleblow on the uh, veteran cops and say, well, I, I don't understand why they're stopping so many persons of interest. Why are they writing all these summonses? Why are they uh, making so much physical contact with perpetrators, we're, we're, what I saw is a lot of these new police officers, they let the public get extremely aggressive with them. I mean, within inches of their face, I've seen these guys, you know, really get hurt, get attacked by perpetrators. And yet they still didn't feel that they should have a tactical plan out there. They, I think they thought it was kind of a byproduct of the type of policing and the era that they're in. So to this paragraph, I completely understand it. And it's sad that it's got to that point. But Jason, whoever you are, I'm, I'm proud of you that you're standing up saying exactly what's going on. But please, uh, to, uh, it's unfortunate. Do not hurt yourself 
or commit suicide for this job. I get texts from various cops every day. And they ask me, and I really appreciate they ask my opinion. Hey, I bested out. I, I went to a, a different, a, some town in Tennessee. I became a cop there. I went, I went, I became a cop in Florida, Georgia. I mean, I, I got a, a text from one of the cops that went to Tennessee. He told me there's about seven cops from the NYPD in his department alone. And it's a small department. So for the departments out there that are supporting cops and you're giving the NYPD guys an opportunity of a career and better mental health, for that, I thank you. But this paragraph is, it, it, it's, it's really alarming. And, and, and I hope that the executives actually take a look at this and start to analyze the big picture. But obviously they don't. And I'll tell you why. To the public out there, when we had a rash amount of suicides in the police department, I think it was two years ago, I think it was 10 in, in about two or three months. It was some, It was just astronomical. And the NYPD's response to the, the suicide rate that we were suffering was, was some type of video. It was a training video that was supposed to help you. I mean, th what a knee-jerk reaction. Totally inadequate. A video to help you so you don't commit suicide. I think that video would make you commit suicide, honestly. It was ridiculous. What do you think? Uh, I mean, there is definitely a dichotomy with the young guys and the old guys. <laughs> I mean, and and it started with that one photo. I don't know if you remember. It was at like some protest, and they were in like a library or whatever. And it was like, oh, look at the uh, restraint this officer is having. And it was a tall kid, and he was standing there, and the girl was screaming in his face. Yes. Um, and I was like, I don't even know what that is because no one will <laughs> ever get that close to me ever, ever. And I don't want to hear. Oh, well, I'm going to get a CCRB and oh, no, there is a zone of safety for a reason. And nobody's ever getting that close to me. And, you know, that is not great restraint and that is not great police work. That is you're lucky to go home that night if you went home, because whatever that person wanted to do to you, stab you in the throat, stab you in the stomach, shoot you, do whatever they want to do to you. They have full reign to do it. You're not going to have time to react. You're not even going to be ready for it because we all know. You're going to second guess because you're worried about getting complaints. You won't even you're letting this person spit on your face as they're as they're talking to you. You have no zone of safety there. That is not restraint. And, you know, and then like to watch an older guy handle that situation is is a problem. Right. And the bosses, too. And you could see them even at these these large mass arrest events. They don't want guys like me and you. They, they'll tell you, go stand three blocks back. And that's happened to me. Go stand three blocks. Oh, you never did one of these before? I'm like, yeah, I did. When we were the police, I've never done it when we just sit there and let people scream in my face. Nobody's going to scream in my face. If they come in my distance, they're go we're going to have it. There's going to be a problem. People are going to jail. I'm sorry. I don't care. They get arrested. Let, let the DA throw it out after. Like, I'm not, I'm not sitting here and no one's screaming in my face. Nobody's going to put me in a vulnerable situation. I'm a police officer. I have to be able to respond and do things. So right then and there, telling people that that was a great job, that was a great job, and this is what is expected of them, so that you could get a nice photo of some maniac yelling in your face, right then and there, people are already starting to question it. You know, and the article goes on to talk about retention and recruitment and everything we're going to talk about is going to be those reasons. So I won't even get into that paragraph, but they talk about we use the resources on nonsense. So this is going to be a real knock on leadership here at a busy Brooklyn precinct. Sergeants are responding 
to 911 calls because half of the officers on duty each tour are assigned to fix posts, including one in front of a home of a drill rapper and an alleged gang member to ensure he isn't shot again. He almost got like private security on his house. We've been sitting outside his house for almost a year. But meanwhile, if you call 911, you have to wait 45 minutes, said Williams, a cop who works at the precinct. He's been shot three separate times, but they're like, we can't let nothing happen to him. I'm like, are you serious? We're really worried about this guy, not the average person. We use the resources on nonsense. Uh, When shots rang out, between two arguing neighbors, a commanding officer at one city precinct did little to address the violence, according to John. That boss responded by setting up a vehicle checkpoint in the area, only leading a bunch of cab drivers getting ticketed. And the CO looking like he handled the situation, said John, who works at the precinct. Now the CO can go to Comstat and say, my guys did this and my guys went out there. The officer griped, referring to the routine crime statistics at the NYPD brass. It's just checking a fucking box. Such instances of mismanagement are prevalent across the department, officers told the Post. You know, I think we spoke on this so many times. I mean, and I'm just going to go back right then and there. That is a political post right there. They don't give a shit about who that guy got shot. That's Eric Adams or whoever the borough president or or the city councilman for that precinct has them putting this perpetrator in high esteem, in very high esteem. You know, so like that's it. So and and they want to talk about criminal association and 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 nepotism and favors and all of this other stuff. I mean, this is this should be looked at seriously that who this is criminal. <laughs> this is criminal association. I mean, <laughs> we're going to do private security for a drill rapper for over a year. I mean, and this guy's right. What are, what are New York City taxpayers paying for? The, I'm sure he's not. I'm sure I'll, I'm gonna even say I'm sure he's not. He's not innocent too. I'm sure he's guilty of a couple of things himself. You know he's not. You know, and here we are. We're doing we're doing security for him. Um, so that right there, that that's a criminal association that needs to be looked at. Didn't we just have a drill drill rapper become a cop? Oh, we got a drill rapper as a cop now too. Yeah, I posted about that too. I, I don't Is think that, that got a lot of traction. Oh uh, no, him? no, no. I mean. I don't know. Maybe it was somebody <laughs> on his team. I don't know. I gotta laugh at that. <laughs> oh my god! But this statement is this statement is good. The executives, they have no clue. They're oblivious. They are like politicians too. They just want the next big thing, so they'll go and kiss ass and do what they want, and not realize that some of this shit doesn't work. Says Jack. See now, here's what I'm gonna say. <laughs> I don't believe that they don't know. I believe they fully know what the hell's going on, and they just turning a blind eye to it to go get, oh, I could get two more percent when I make deputy inspector or three more percent when I make full bird inspector. And maybe if I'm lucky enough, I'll make chief. You know, what do, what do you think about that? First of all, if they didn't know, can we fire them right now and get them the hell off the job? Absolutely, they know. So, and that's the problem is that they know exactly what's going on. They know exactly what's going on in the pipeline from the mayor to the police commissioner to the ranks of the chiefs and down to our rank and file. They know exactly what's going on. And it's unfortunate because they talk two sides of their mouths and it's really putting the police officers in the hot seat. And this is the part I don't understand. We say it all the time. 
The cops are getting abused by the executives. But yet, and that's the and, and the public, I'm surprised that the public doesn't see this. The cops are getting paid peanuts. Their fellow brothers and sisters are getting forced out for a vaccine mandate, which at this point, what is the percentage of people that get COVID? I don't even know. We would have to look that up, but I'm sure it's so minuscule. And, he, and here we are at the point where these men and women are getting abused, but yet they still go out and do the job every day, day in and day out. I mean, police officers and, and cops have proved they're human punching bags. I mean, you can, you can have a New York City police officer, you can pay him dirt, He'll go out and he'll save your life. You can have a New York City police officer go out there. You can force his brothers and sisters out of the job, supervisors. And you know what? The ones that are left, they'll still go out there and work. You, you, you can abuse New York City police officers. You can, you can divide them amongst themselves in the job, and they still go out and do the job. And, the, and this is the problem. The executives on this job know that. They know that. At no point, I don't think it's ever been done in history, but I don't think the police officers are ever going to stand and band together and say, hey, you know what? We're not going to go out there and answer that 911 call. Or we're not going to go out there and use the observation skills that we have and stop someone that we think has a firearm. They may be slowing down right now because of fear and because of what's going on with CCRB and these other attributing factors. They may be taking a step back. But I've never seen any police officers stand down completely when they say, absolutely, I'm just going to close my eyes and not do this job completely because it's in their blood. That's why they do this job. It's a calling. They want to help people. They want to help the community. So no matter what, all these factors that are pushing down on them, it doesn't matter. They're still going to go out there and help you. So how do we help them? We need to stand up for them. And that's what I'm saying. We need one executive to stand up there and write what's wrong. Because... They're at Comstat, and they're pushing these commanding officers to be accountable for their presence, and they're not just talking about deployment. They want numbers, right? Because numbers does work in an essence if you're talking to the right people. We have to go out there and write summonses we have to, to drug dealers, and we have to write uh, park, parking summonses to a drug dealer that's double parking his car. We want to be a nuisance so that we can have these people disperse and displace them. But that's not what we're doing now. Right, because the cops know they don't want to engage the violent perpetrators or the persons of interest. Why? One, they're going to resist, and the, the cops, the new cops right now, clearly don't have the adequate training to stand up and meet violence with violence. Also, the other part is they're going to get slammed by the civilian complaint review board for using any type of force, even if it gets it gets a violent perpetrator who's going to be in custody. How do I know that? I've been a victim of that numerous amount of times. So, what are these cops supposed to do? It's we just keep pushing down and pushing down. It's like a Pringles can. We just keep putting them at the bottom of the can and everything's on top of them. And that's why I said it's really important to come upon the COs. But I get it. There's the problem. A commanding officer is a guest at a precinct. He or she is going to be at your precinct for a two to three year period with the intentions of getting promoted. Now, I'm not knocking them for that, but then they're, they're a guest at that precinct. So they're going to make moves. They're going to stir stuff up. They're going to have the neighborhood safety teams, the public safety teams out there. This is 10% of the job doing 90% of the work. And they're going to have these men and women pursuing violent perpetrators. They're going to get their records peppered up. And you love to use that word. I really like it. They're going to get their records peppered up. 
with CCRB self-reported TRI reports. They're going to get flagged, and eventually they're going to get removed from those teams, and they're going to have to face those investigations. But the time that they face those investigations, those COs, those guests of the precinct, will be on to their next location and a guest somewhere else, and these cops will be forgotten. I mean, again, it goes back to self-serving leadership. They're looking out for themselves, like like he points out here with the checkpoints. I've been a young sergeant on patrol where there's – I have three cars. I started a tour in Brooklyn in a busy precinct where you're getting 20, 30 jobs easy a sec- per sector and easy, you know, and, and you know, you're getting told, oh, you got to do a checkpoint. And I, and I, I never would do it. I was like, you know, I, I would never do it. And, and I would get my ass chewed out for it. How come you don't do any checkpoints? I'm like, I start the tour with three cars. I'm down to two. It's a safety hazard. These guys don't get meal. I'm not going to not answer jobs and, and have a, and have a checkpoint, get me the personnel and I could run a checkpoint. But even at, even at that rate, I can't because I'm going to EDPs. I'm going to missings. I'm going to this. I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it's on. It's get it done, and I don't care. And I believe that statement's made a little bit further in here. Just get it done, and I don't care because it's self-serving leadership. It's really not leadership. It's just self-serving. I'm the boss. I did it. I'm telling you to do it, so do it. I know. I don't care. It doesn't make sense. I don't care that I'm telling you to go out there and get guns and telling you to watch this drill rapper who has a gun in his house, guaranteed, and he's going to be shooting at someone. I don't care. Just get it done. Just don't get this bad guy. Get the next bad guy. Make sure this guy stays alive because some politician told me and I don't want to and I'm too afraid to go speak to someone in city council who, by the way, hates the police, is an incompetent person and is probably 24 years old. You know, um, so it's, it's really, you know, I'll even take it. Forget self-serving. It's cowardice. It's cowardice in leadership. Um, so you got that. Now they go on to talk about all of the the problems that would arise from not having the manpower, such as these guys don't get to go to meal, um, you know, um, and all of these and all of this other stuff. Then it goes into this. The dismal personal experiences inside the department are plentiful. A military veteran denied a spot in the counterterrorism bureau after a tour in Iraq, a Navy veteran who didn't make the cut for the harbor unit. And then there is the newly minted detective specialists, which is 24 arrests under her belt, 15 of which were misdemeanors, whose whose father used to drive a chief. NYPD Commissioner Key Chan Sewell is quick to remind the rank and file there are more than 300 specialized units they could apply to be on. But without connections, known as a phone call or a hook internally, it can feel impossible, the officer said. The phone call has always been there for more specialized units, but it's so bad now. People are using phone calls to get at the schedule they want. It's gotten absurdly out of control lately, said Michael, a longtime officer. Um, I will say that that is always been true on the job. You know, there was a meme I saw recently where it was a pale white kid with no muscles standing at a um, at a like a bodybuilding event. And he's surrounded by all jacked guys. And it's like when I used my hook to get to a detail, I have absolutely no skills for that was the meme. And it was absolutely hysterical. I was crying. And I was like, I was like, and that's always been true. But like. A little bit of that statement, um, I would say now that there's less people will hold true. But to me, I didn't know anybody on this job. And I became someone that you would say, oh, he knows everyone. He's privileged. He's got a hook. 
I would say this. I always left. I left no doubt that whatever I wanted to do, I was more qualified than everyone around me. Even if that means I got passed over for the anti-crime team three or four times, which happened to me. And I got to the point where, you know, I didn't care. I just kept putting my head down and working. So I don't agree with with that so much, but I, I can see there is a lot of that on the job. And that's definitely not going away. And and it's a, it, it is on it is an unfortunate fact on the job, but that is life. And the only way you're going to defeat that is through hard work. It, it really is. It's through hard work and being competent and being reliable. Um, so, but yes, with the less people on the job, that's the less people that are going to the details. With the insanity that's going on in leadership, yes, you're going to have people make decisions instead of having their nephew or whoever work their way up to earn it. They're just going to make these ridiculous appointments. You know, I know I could think of a chief son that was in warrants with a year on the job and he made detective before he even had five years on the job. It's a disgrace, you know, with, with, with minimal collars, you know, what, what do you think about that, Tim? I'm a little surprised that, that that statement was put in this article because that's something that's been going on forever. I mean, I, I even remember one of the cops that used to work for me when I was in the Lower East Side in housing, and he was a fellow Marine also. Uh, but he was he, he was one of my drivers. He actually got into a shooting. And, uh, you know, great job. I actually wasn't there that night. Him and another cop were working together. And uh, by the grace of God, the other cop that was with him, I don't want to give names. I don't know if he wants his name released. But he got struck by a round in his magazine. Public wants to know the magazine is the, uh, and some people love to call it a clip. Magazine is exactly a strip. In cases, your actual bullets. So the round, this violent perpetrator that they had an encounter with, they tried to stop him. Uh, he had a little bitty bop, a bitty bop on him, and uh, they saw behavioral indicators that really reflected that he had a potential firearm. Sure enough, he opened fire on them, and uh, he was struck in the magazine. But the other cop, uh, he got into a he got into a stance, a Marine Corps stance. He fired some rounds. He did a great job. He struck the perpetrator. The perpetrator still fled. After some time, uh, emergency service responded uh, and a canvas was conducted and this perpetrator was taken for justice. But with that, this particular cop was awarded the, uh, the warrant section. So I'll never forget, it was his first day in warrants. He was all excited and he called me afterwards. I'll never forget. And he said when he went to the office that it was, uh, it, it was an office, it was numerous decks, desks in this office. It was kind of like a round table. And, he, and they all said to him, well, who do you know? This guy knows Chief so-and-so. This guy knows Chief so-and-so. This one knows Chief so-and-so. And everyone gave their resume of who they're, who, who they're attached to. And he said, I don't know anybody. I, I got to a shooting. That's why they put me here. So that's been going on forever. Nepotism is, uh, you know, it's, it's vast on this job. But you can make it places on merit. It, it is difficult. I mean, I have seen cops that clearly don't deserve to go to a specific unit. But there is something I want to highlight in that paragraph, because I have seen it numerous times being a fellow veteran that I take issue to. I've seen veterans that have combat experience that are still in the reserves. And what people don't understand is they go out to their weekend to serve. It's called the drill weekend. And then they come back to the police department to serve with the police. So they're wearing both hats. In some cases, I did see some type of discrimination where they wouldn't be considered for units because 
the appearance was, well, they're not here all the time. How do we depend on them? But yeah, they're not there because they're, they're serving two hats. They're serving the community and they're also serving in the military. And what people understand is it, it's tough. Sometimes they work a five-day week. Then they would have to go out, serve their weekend with, with the military, and then come right back. And so for maybe a 15-day period, they wouldn't have any days off. So it was tough on them as well. So I did see some of that. And sometimes where a young man or woman on this job would get into a unit, clearly they, they didn't have the, uh, the bio for it. Their resume, resume was not applicable to this type of police work. And some chief would bring them in and they would get a detective shield with two years on the job. And some unit, it clearly was high speed, way above the, uh, the parameters that they were ready to serve. And, and I felt they would, you know, it, it's great to go into one of those type of units, but you're really doing injustice to your family member by bringing them in where they don't have the experience and don't have an opportunity to learn the foundation of the job and to be respected by their peers. That, that's my take on this right now. Yeah, and then the article goes on and they talk about the transit safety plan. We spoke about that in the last episode, in episode six. What a joke. So I don't want to really get into that again. If anybody wants to listen to that, we spoke on that on, on uh, our last episode. And it, and then they begin to highlight the the actual the um the scheduling, like and how that affects scheduling. Now I'll say I always had a problem with the scheduling in the police department. Um, and I do think it's something that should at some point be rectified. And I believe it has a big effect on the mental health of officers. I mean, just, you know, you just think about it like this way, your days off are rotating. You just worked five days. You got two on three off. And then on your last one, you you're tired probably because you worked a lot of overtime, like this new transit initiative. You're working overtime every day. You only slept four, three, four hours each day. If you slept at all, depending where you live, a lot of guys live far now because they can't afford even townhouses in the city. Townhouses in Staten Island are going in upwards of to almost close to eight hundred thousand dollars. You're not really going to be able to afford that as a, as a police officer on a single salary. You're definitely not going to be able to afford that. So you know you got guys traveling upstate. So you got guys that sleep at the precinct because they're like, I'm not going to drive home. I have four hours to get home and get back here. Um, so the scheduling's always been hard. So that's going to really take a toll on mental health. And then here you go on your fifth day and you think you're going home and bam, here comes some lieutenant. Here you go. I got to hit you for two days, your next two days off. You're going to be going here and there and there and there. And, and again, with the less manpower that we have, the, the worse and worse this is going to get. And again, Mayor Adams. We have thousands of people waiting that are highly qualified and trained. I don't understand. A judge already ruled your illegal mandate unconstitutional. You know it's unconstitutional. I don't understand. You could you could close the gap right now, and you're unwilling to do it. So it's going to lead into, again, your incompetence, your incompetence and your arrogance. And here's here's one that, honestly, if you worked for any corporation, I would fire you right now. If you work for me right now, I would fire you. I think anyone, I think all of New York City residents would fire you based on this one thing. You know, you want to play with little lies about crime and all that. That's fine. How about this one? The NYPD is on pace to spend $600 million on uniformed overtime staff in fiscal year 2023. 61% more than the 372 million budgeted according to the figures from an independent budget office so we have 
you know, you have you have Phil Banks, the unindicted co-conspirator, really running the department from 375 Pearl Street. You have Key Chan Sewell. I don't know what she does besides make a speech every now and then. And nobody could figure out how to properly stay inside of the budgeted amount, $372 million. And let me just clear this up. This is not some conspiracy. This is not some phenomena that people are just leaving this profession. They're leaving blue Democratic states. Those are where we're getting the exodus of police and they're going to police friendly states or they're leaving the profession altogether. This is a politically created crisis. There is no, this isn't some phenomena. This is Mayor Adams putting his foot on the neck of the NYPD police officer and them not being able to breathe and saying, you know what? Maybe maybe I could do better doing something else because this this is definitely not working. Um so, and then I, I, I'll i give you a second, but I just want to finish up with this. In response, an NYPD representative said to the department has a moral, she must have went to ABLE training. They have a moral imperative to support the <laughs> mental health and wellness of its officers. We rolled out new initiatives like executive and command level health and wellness training which is, again, Dim just talked about, is a video that you watch and you'll you'll probably want to kill yourself from watching it. And <laughs> a peer support program and increased staffing resources. We have sought input from medical health experts, medical facilities, and other police departments and current members of service. We encourage any of our employees who are having challenges at work or home to reach out to any of our employee resources so they can get the help and support they deserve. What do you think if they need time off from work, Dan? What do you think if they're stressed out and they just like, hey, you know, I just want a break. I would just like to take a week off of work. What 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 do you think is going to happen to them? Well, they're not getting a week off anyway. <laughs> Clearly, right now, they're so shorthanded with this mass exodus, with people retiring, with people investing out. I remember, I remember clearly, I think, at the end of my career, I think the roster that I had for PSA 7, I think it was about 203 or 204 cops. I remember I looked at it. I said, wow. A year ago, it was about 273 cops. Now, that's a big difference, especially in, a, in a, such a volatile command as PSA 7. It's so busy. You're covering housing from two different precincts, the 4-2 and the 4-0, in the confines of the one of the poorest congressional districts in the country. And the 4-0 precinct itself has the highest concentration of housing in the country. So here it is, a precinct that we needed cops. We were hurting. I mean, cops were leaving on a daily basis. I remember cops who left for St. Petersburg in Florida. Our cops left for Cape Coral in Florida. We had cops that were vesting out, and they were just leaving for other professions completely. And I understood it. I understood why. So clearly, the other cops were now picking up the burden because, again, and that's why I said these benevolent associations, they're not really unions, the PBA, the SBA, the LBA, because they don't have the same structure in an elevated union or electrical union as a, uh, in the elevated union and level uh, local one in New York City. If a job takes two men to do that job and only one guy is present, well, someone is going to fill that job. It's too, they're, still, they're not going to do that job until two people can do it. But what happens in the New York City Police Department is that we do more with less. 
So if there's only two guys working, but it's a three-man job, well, the two men are going to do that three job. So the men and women are now taking a, a, a larger load of work with less cops. The morale is terrible. The leadership is taking them down a dark tunnel. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what the mission is. It goes back to, it reverts back to what I've been saying. If you're a New York, New York City police officer right now, it's correlation. If you were a construction worker, you have a tool belt, you had a hammer, you had nails, a stapler, a stapler, all this type of tools, and you went to work to build a house, and you would say to yourself, how do I not put a, a nail in the wall with a hammer? How do I not do my job so I don't get in trouble? That's, that's the anxiety that a police officer faces right now. How do they go to work and not do their job so that they don't get in trouble? Because they're at the point they feel if I move left, I'm going to get suspended. If I move right, I'm getting modified. If I move backwards, you know what? I may be getting terminated. If I go forward, I may be getting criminal charges. That's the life of a New York City police officer. The, the damning stress that they have to deal with. So clearly, they're not getting any time off because there's all these details out right now, right? We need presence in the subway. I know towards the end of my career, we had the housing cops on a daily basis going to do checks in the subway. I think it was clearly ridiculous. These cops had never worked in the subway. They didn't know the nomenclature of the subway. They didn't understand the parameters of a subway, they understand patrol and observation skills, but you need some training to understand to understand your geographical area of employment so that you can be affected to really get a foundation for it. There was no training. Just throw these guys into the fire so they're not getting any time off. But yet, you would see some of these cops that were working administratively, and I guess they were untouchable, and they would get time off while these, the same cops are out there busting their ass off. And that's what I talk about. That's probably what he's talking about with the abuse that's uh, within. Because there are some cops on this job. They're untouchable and uh, they're high, high paid secretaries. And I heard Adams refer in the past that, that these particular police officers would be sent out into the street to conduct field work or they could find themselves another place to work. So why, why is that not happening? That part I agree with. These uh, ample amount of police officers that carry a firearm that have Police training, maybe it's not adequate enough, but they have the police training that has been provided to them by the New York City Police Academy. So why are they not on the street? Instead, they're working as secretaries. Oh, I, it depends. So I, like, I, I, I have a different take on that one. You know, if, if things were done properly, because there are many administrative roles in the NYPD that only NYPD officers should do. And I'll give you one right off the top of my head, which is the license, the licensing division, which is ripe for corruption. It's ripe for corruption. They try to civilianize that unit so that Mayor Adams' buddy, who's in charge of all of our contracts right now, they want to civilianize that so that he'd be able to get a firearm license because, and they would ignore his criminal background check. So, and we've had a big scandal there. So I do think that, there are roles that must be filled in the NYPD, but the NYPD is a huge bureaucracy. It must be filled by uniform members of the service. It's a huge bureaucracy, and they created all of this nonsense. A lot of it could be dwindled down. But here's to the point. Not everyone at all times, in my opinion, should be out on the street. Like I said, you were out on the street for a very long time in different roles. I think that at points, guys should rotate in and out. And no way someone under 10 years on the job should be in an administrative role. 
I'm sorry, it just shouldn't happen. And that's not what we're seeing. So the administrative roles should be guys with 18, 19 years on, even 15 years on, or you were involved in a shooting, you do six months and a year in, something like that. Uh, there has to be some type of break for these guys. Um, and, you know, it's funny, like, to hear Eric Adams say that because he was an overpaid secretary his entire career. So, like, to me, coming from him, it's 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 in, it's hypocrisy. I'm like, wait, you never even stepped foot on the street, and now you're talking about yourself. You're talking about yourself. Like, you know what I mean? So, you know, I, I don't think that the guys that are older on this job that went in an administrative role should be demonized as such. Like, oh, they need to be out on the street, their house masses, because it's not true for a lot of them. A lot of the young guys that two, three years on your traffic safety, sorry, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't, um, you shouldn't be in that role. But again, it goes back to complete mismanagement. It goes back to complete bureaucracy. And you have guys, and when it comes to safety and the safety issue, yes. To, if we're out on the street, and again, this is this is a crisis that they created, and if people can't sleep and people are working 30 straight tours, um, and who, what resource are they going to go to? Oh, I, I get notified every week. Every time I'm supposed to have off, I get notified. What's going to happen to that guy? They're going to take his gun. They're going to psych him, or they're going to send him to, to the furthest part of where he's from, be like, oh, this guy's a problem. This guy's an issue. Well, maybe this guy really is having mental issues. Maybe there is a problem. Maybe we have a single mother that can't take care of her children. You know, they, some people highlight that they have in this article, that they have a pet. I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not with you on that. Like I, I get what it is. Like I, I, there was probably years of my life. I didn't go to the doctor and like, you know, I'm talking about taking care of your kids, taking care of your mental well-being and your health and, and that thing's getting, and that's getting lost and nobody cares about it. And they're like, oh, well, we put this training video out and we have these resources, but God forbid you use those resources. You're going to have a big problem. I mean, and, and, you know, I don't know, like the fire department seems to have their schedule out. Those guys go in a bad fire. They get time off. I mean, where, where is it for all? Our guys are going in bad fires every day. You know, I mean, like, you know, where is it? And like, yeah, again, again, I'll say it again. This is a self-created crisis of incompetence and leadership. And then they go on further to talk about revolving door justice, you know, and they talk about the, the controversial criminal justice reform. Police work felt disheartening and po pointless because how quickly suspects are turned back on the streets. They want activity again and again. They want guys going out and making summonses, making arrests. And people are just like, why am I going to do that? By the time I finish the paperwork, he's out. And I'm sitting in the precinct processing all the paperwork. It's disheartening. Michael said, the political environment has become so intense, supervisors are throwing their underlings under the bus. And, and, and more often, and officers have become afraid to do their jobs. For instance, vehicle pursuits. You're not supposed to do a vehicle pursuit but if you chase the guy and you're able to stop him without anything going wrong they're fine with it as long as you get a gun but if he crashes into a house or something they'll sell you to the wolves and say we told you not to do vehicle pursuits said michael bingo, right. I, that, bingo. that's a good one i mean dim right right then and there what what, what what's your take on you know and and to me as a police officer i see these wild packs 
As a police officer, as a resident, I see these wild packs of dirt bikes, ATVs, uh, scooters, all unregistered, all unsured, driving on sidewalks. And I know that that's a job for the police department. However, based upon the patrol guide procedures and the procedures in place with the NYPD, and we currently have two guys that are modified for doing such a thing of trying to attempt to arrest one of these people, I would not tell my guys to do that. I would observe and report. What, what about you, Dim? What do you think? Well, at this stage in the game, obviously, if any New York City police officer New York City cop, and I'm talking to you right now. I'm talking to if you were my brother, you're my sister, if you were my son, or you were my daughter, I would tell you if you are pursuing one of these ATVs or these these motorcycles, these mopeds, all these crazy bikes out there, if you're pursuing one and they're and they're not stopping for you and you're actually pursuing them, you're out of your mind. Out of your mind. Because a hundred percent I saw it time after time, and I've been involved in some cases where Yes, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. And I'm not saying I'm guilty of doing something wrong. I'm guilty of having the heart in the right place of my team and I pursuing someone that was on an ATV or on a bike. And and it's actually a video that surfaced, right? Of myself riding a bike back to the priest. And we were laughing because it was was hysterical. We actually grabbed the guy with a legal firearm. But I was fortunate the guy's battery went dead. So I didn't have to chase him. We got this guy with a legal firearm. This person of interest, this violent perpetrator, and it was funny. So it was a couple of miles. So I said, you know what, I'll, I'll just wheel it back. I wheeled it back with my feet. The guys were laughing. I was laughing. Somehow cop watch put this out. I guess I guess police officers can't have fun, too. And I don't know if they know this, but that correlates to mental health. You want your police officers to have an outlet and your cops. But uh, I, I just have to say that to my people right now. If you are in some type of vehicle pursuit, an ATV bike, or even a car. You're out of your mind. And I understand because when you get to that point, it's in your blood to seek out that violent perpetrator. But you gotta you gotta look out for yourself. If something happens in that situation, God forbid that someone in a vehicle meets their demise or an ATV, they get seriously hurt, or God forbid they're injured and to the point they're seriously injured and they're likely to die, or God forbid they do meet their demise. Well, guess what? The blame is going to be put on you and you're going to be the point. These executives are not going to stand up. The chiefs are not going to say, stand up and say, hey, we've spoke about this at Comstat and that there has been a push to drive our cops and police officers to apprehend these, these persons of interest that are operating these ATVs because they're creating a complete nuisance to society. I, I mean, these ATVs are destroying communities. Late at night, the noise is just it, it, it total insanity. Particularly, I remember working in Times Square, doing overtime in my last year and, you know, getting away from the, the South Bronx where it generated these complaints. And at night, these streets, these streets are succumbed by ATVs and bikes, and they're circling around around the cops, and they're just ridiculing the police officers that are there because they can, because they know that if the police officers pursue them and take off, and first of all, it's such a hard thing to actually apprehend one of these persons of interest. I mean, they weave in and out on the sidewalk. You're at a complete disadvantage trying to pursue them in the vehicle. And the odds are you're going to end up in a crash yourself and it may lead to you hurting possibly some some innocent bystander. And you just don't need that on your head because without qualified immunity, you're, you're not going to be indemnified. You're going to be left in the dark and you're going to be having to put your house on collateral for having your heart in the right place. So stand down when it comes to those things. I absolutely think it's insane 
But yet, the police department, I remember being at camps that would pull up pictures and show ATVs and these particular locations where they're riding these ATVs, and we got to go out and get them. But when the cops go out and get them, look, these two cops got modified. And, it, and, and how is Pat Lynch actually standing by with that? How is he, well, we know he's, how he's standing by because he also donated money to Holcher. So he's not there for his people. That's absolutely ridiculous. So again, the message to the cops out there is stand down. Do not pursue any vehicles. I know it's in your blood and you want to help, but you're going to hurt yourself. So you have to find the discipline to stand down in those cases. Yeah, and I had, a, I had someone, a member of the community actually said to me, why don't you guys just have Taru send up a, send up a drone and follow these bikes to wherever they park and then, and then confiscate the bike as soon as you get there? And I thought that was a great idea. You know, a guy's not a cop, not a member of the community. So any of you executives listening, I could actually maybe you get another star on your chest. Have them have them go and take and confiscate those bikes. They're unregistered. They're uninsured. Wait for them to stop. Follow them to whatever location. I thought that was a great idea. Um, But as far as going to chase someone, absolutely not. I don't care what anyone says. I'm with you. It's wrong. I know you're going to feel an over sense of urgency to do something about it. You are going to end up in jail or your pension that you're working for will be going to somebody else. For, for you attempting to do your job and make your CO happy or the borough commander or whoever else. And they will turn their back on you in a heartbeat should, God forbid, something go wrong. So I, I'm, with, I'm with you on that. Um, they do go into the pay. And listen, I will say, I think that the pay is abysmal to start. But I'll tell you right now, I used to say all the time. Who the hell is going to pay me this much money? I mean, you know, me and Dim made very good salaries. We worked our way up. You know, I saved money. Um, it's not a job that you would start as a family man. I do agree. And I think that the, the starting pay could be a little better. But to sit there wholeheartedly and, and harp on the pay like Pat Lynch does, it's disingenuous. That's disingenuous. Um, the fact of the matter is, and I've gotten a bunch of people from when that video surfaced of me with the, the one of the podcasts that we did where I, I, I basically called them out for donating the whole chill. Um, I got a lot of people from tier three. He's working on the contract. He's doing this. He's going to get us in tier two. This, that, the other thing, blah, 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 blah. And I would just like to remind everybody. The person that you're looking to save you is the person that puts you into that situation. The person that was perfectly fine with tier three. Person that was perfectly fine with you guys not getting three quarters. Perfectly fine with you not being able to, to, to put extra money into your pension or, or overtime counting towards your pension. He sold out the unborn. As long as he's been in office and now we're at the point where there's nothing left to sell. So he's selling out the retirees and the disabled off of this job to take away their medical benefits. And he's going to be coming for your medical benefits, too. So I'm just going to let you know right now, if for some reason there is talk and these wackos start telling you you're going in tier two, your tier two is not going to be my tier two. It might be named that. It will never be the same. Your health care is going to be diminished. You're going to give away your bodily autonomy through, through collective bargaining, which will still be illegal, 
but you will all go through with it. And basically, you'll be a pincushion for anything that they want to stick in your body, not just a COVID vaccine. And you could mark my words on that. And that's not a conspiracy. That's exactly what's going on. And by the way, that contract that you were offered three years ago with zero givebacks would have been the first contract with no givebacks that you that he ever signed under his administration. And he denied it. And, and, oh, you're going to get a retro? Let me tell you, you're never getting that retro because the retro, they're going to give you a, a half a percent or a zero up front, and you're going to get a few thousand dollars. And that retro, that money's not going into your ITHP, your 50%, your deferred comp. That's not a real retro. Retros are not real in the city of New York. And by the way, you don't even have ithp or 50 percent, and so for, for you to sit there and defend the guy that sold out the unborn you're out of your mind and i was always under the impression and and I, i've heard ed mullen say it and, and and i heard lou turco say it and i agree with both of them when they said it they said you don't sell out the unborn because eventually they're going to be the guys running this job and running this union and they need to take care of us while we're in retirement and and that's exactly right but Pat Lynch doesn't give a shit about the unborn because he's just getting himself into his big payday, you know? Mm. And I got another message, and I don't know how true it is, but and, and, and I don't like to spread rumors, but I'm just going to put it out there because people say it. Um, and supposedly he showed up to a cigar event, and he was wearing $4,000 sneakers and bragging about how, how full his belly was. And I don't know if that's true, but if that's true, that's a disgrace. It's a disgrace for a public servant to be walking around with four thousand dollars sneakers. Not because, not because I'm not saying you can't make other investments and make the money. Just because I'm saying, who the hell do you think you are? You're not a celebrity. You're not a boxer. You're not a rapper. I don't. He might have. He might be a genius in the stock market or the real estate business. I'm not trying to say anything nefarious. I'm just saying that would be a disgrace when you're sitting here telling these cops they don't make any money. And you walking into a room wearing very expensive sneakers. That's disgusting. I never seen a four thousand dollar pair of sneakers. I'm dying to see these. <laughs> if this is legit, I want a picture of these sneakers. I want to see them. I want to see who else has them. What I, don't know. $4, I want to see this. But... Sneakers are expensive now. That's all I gotta say. They probably exact <laughs> I'm gonna say they probably exaggerated, but I get the point that they were making. I get the point they were making. Well, thank God I'm in Florida right now. I haven't worn sneakers in weeks. I love it. I'm wearing sandals every day. <laughs> Not like open toes. <laughs> but what do you think about the pay, Tim? What do you think about that? Oh, come on. This this is exactly – this reverts back to what we were saying. When you and I got on the job, the salary wasn't great. It was very minimal. But in 2007, I mean, it just went for the worst. 25100 was absolutely insane. Even back then, 15-some-odd years ago. The salary was was that was abysmal, and guys, guys and girls were dying to get this job. I mean, they, I mean, they would have they would have taken half that if that was the case because it was a noble job. The morale is up, and, and you knew at some point the uh, the pay would change and it would get ratified. But absolutely ridiculous. And and here we had a point, and it's unfortunate. I think uh, not all the police officers, but I hear some of the police officers talk about it, and sometimes I would hear them. They would kind of get excited by the idea of a retro, and, and it's unfortunate. And, and I, it, it made me realize and understand that it's unfortunate. But most of our cops are financial; they're financially illiterate. And uh, I'm not trying to make fun of them. I'm not trying to knock them. There are some cops that understand it, but as a general whole, 
I think both of them kind of get their information from the guy next to them and the girl next to them, and they get their information from someone else. It's kind of information passed up, but no one's actually taking the time out to do their own research. But, you know, that's the one part I have to uh, side with the LBA and the SBA. They they tried to get contracts up to date. It's pensionable. And not only that, there's an old saying by economics, and I, I really believe in this, cash is trash. So if to my cops out there, if you get a 50, let's just say 50,000 some odd dollars, that w- is your retro. And you're, you're getting 50,000 in 2022 for money that you were supposed to get six years ago. So that dollar is at a different weight at this time. And, and I think sometimes people don't understand that because the American dollar is strong. But this happens other countries very quite often. I mean, if you go to Mexico or somewhere like that, I mean, it may be 10 to 20 pesos for a dollar, it may be 20 pesos to buy a piece of candy. And that's how money does go over time, especially in the inflation that we're at right now in, in the Biden administration and post-COVID here at the height of the pandemic, the inflation rate has really caused a dollar, uh, I mean, to really lose uh, value. So here you are, you get 50,000 or, or whatever the case is, whatever substantial amount that you get in your retro, but that dollar amount is not what it was worth six years ago. You can't buy what you can. and now. You're getting taxed at the tax rate now for something that you should have made six years ago. Also, it's not pensionable. And I have a firm belief that cash is trash because if you sit on cash, if you just have money sit in a savings account as inflation continues, and here we are, we're at 14% inflation increase rate, you're losing your money if it's just sitting there. Your money needs to be invested. So throughout that time, you can have your money invested in different opportunities so that money can grow. And so it's unfortunate you're at a loss here. And you can never recoup that money. So it's unfortunate that our cops as a whole, I'm not, I'm not using a broad stroke saying everyone, as a whole, we are financially illiterate. And I don't think we understand the parameters and, and how, how we're affected by a situation as such, by these, uh, particularly uh, uh, that you're not getting a contract. Six years. I mean, that's six years. That's almost a decade. That's a long time to be working without a contract, getting the appropriate raises. I mean, I, I listened to Dave Ramsey, and Dave Ramsey said, "If you know, especially right now, he said, don't be scared of inflation. It's normal. But here we are, inflation rate is at 14%. So if your job does not give you a 14% or better raise, you should leave that job. There is, your, your employer is supposed to keep up with the inflation. So obviously that's not happening with these cops. So I think the message that you're telling you is you should leave and find something somewhere else, somewhere where they appreciate you better pay. What do you think about that? I mean, I mean, yes, but I'll say again, I don't believe that the pay is the issue because they're signing on knowing what it is. You know, when, when, uh, you know, when, once I was forced out, you know, I, I, went into the, the, the marketplace, right? And I looked at what jobs were available to me. And it was the first thing that I thought of. I said, okay, is this, is this money okay for me for the time I will, I will spend on this job? So immediately I would look at the salaries and I would X out the jobs right then and there. So I'm not going to go into a job knowing what the pay is and then sit there and pretend like, oh yeah, no, yeah, nah. You know what? This pay is not good for me. Like you signed up for it, you know? And I got off, I got offered a few jobs in law enforcement in Florida. And honestly, the money was like a fourth of what I was making in New York city. So, and, and you have guys leaving 
New York City to go make less money. So I don't know what anybody's talking about here. I mean, you could look at all these Florida departments. They're making they're making a quarter of what these guys are making in New York City. So to sit there and say, oh, yeah, the money. No, you signed on this job. Like so like I, and, I, and I don't think that it's really the men and women. And I get that you guys want a contract and you deserve one. But that's not it's being disingenuous. And again, to get you that money. They're going to sell out other shit. You're going to give up a lot of stuff. And you're looking for the guy who sold you out to be your savior. That's a very dangerous place to be in, my friend. And I wouldn't want to be in that. And if it was me, I'd probably pull the plug, too. So I don't know, you know, and, you know, what do you what do you got on the contract? You know what I got on the contract? I got nothing on the contract. I got that. If you're hanging on that contract, you better start looking elsewhere. Or you should have, you should be looking for that sergeant's test. You should be looking to take the lieutenant's test. You should be looking to move up the ranks, you know, and because that's the only way you're ever going to really get a raise on this job. And if you're waiting for a discretionary, I got another one on you. Keep waiting, because again, guys like fucking Dim are very few and far between wearing a gun belt. And I do agree with the nepotism, and I'll, that is one thing I'll agree with. Anybody inside should not be getting promoted. I 100% agree with that. The men and the women should get promoted. There's something in this article about that, that there should be incentivized. You work in a busier precinct. Maybe the pay should be a little more. You're on the street. The pay should be a little more. 100% agree with that. 100%. You know, um, because that that is the job. Like I said, you could shut down a lot of these units and, you know, and, and we, and, and, you know, as long as people call 911 and the cops show up, that's what's important. So, you know, so then it goes into, you know, Paul says, if it weren't for the politics, policing would be a dream job. Being a police officer is a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth, the officer said. Being able to interact with different people from all walks of life on a daily basis is a blessing. It's a learning experience every day I wake up and it's amazing. The officers also provided a myriad of solutions to the department, the problems plaguing the department. What do you think about that statement, Dim, right then and there? I mean, I think that sums up a lot for me right there. Well, I mean, I guess he still has hope. I mean, that's what it sounds like. So obviously this is not Jason. This is somebody else speaking here, right? This is Paul. This is Paul. Okay. Well, it sounds like he has hope and, uh, and this might be a guy, this might be exactly what we're talking about, but the dichotomy and the, and the different cops that are on this job. So maybe this is a cop that's from tier three and he's new on the job and doesn't understand the big picture of what's going on here. No, well, I mean, I listen, I, I listen, I mean, the job fucked me and I still love it. And I still, you know, I, before I even became a cop, I remember I was working a job and I was literally sitting at the job and I was I was like, wow, I don't I don't want to think I could do a normal job. I think I want to do something else. And, uh, and next thing I know, the police department called me and I was like, wow, this is a great fucking job. Like when you're out there, you're on the streets in New York City. So I think the potential is still there for this job. But like he said, if it weren't for the politics. This is a politically motivated crisis. This is not something. Again, I'm going to say it, and I don't. I don't think that this article is really highlighting it enough. Um, and you know, here's another point. This kid says we are under so much stress at work, working overtime that is mandate, mandated, unable to see our families, and for what? To lock up bad guys that get released the very next day to do it all over again. Derek said. 
And I'll just add on to that. Not only is the bad guy not even getting charged and being released, Derek's going to be holding the bag with all the, when he when he has to self-report on a tri report, CCRB inspection cases, all against someone who'll be completely uncooperative with the NYPD. But no, Derek will deal with that, and then as Derek progresses in his career, that complaint will never go away. And the person that he locked up for doing his job has zero consequence, and that will never be on his record. So, <laughs> let, let, well. Let's just say this. I, I heard what you said, and, and I heard the, the paragraph that you read. And I understand, but let's be honest. It was a great job, and and, and I, I listened to what you said. So maybe, actually, now that I, I now that I heard you speak, that's actually probably someone that has time on the job, and it was referring back, thinking about when it was good, in hopes it will be like that again. So yes, it was an amazing job, but let's be honest, it's not an amazing job right now, and in order for it to get better. To the to that to have that glee in the eye that we once had, that glimpse of hope. I mean, it's gonna take years. It didn't take it, it. This didn't happen overnight. It took years to get to this point. It was just mounds of of administrative policies, rules, different laws that have just keep piling up time after time, just making this job more difficult, worse. Again, like I said, they're just pushing it down on you. And you're at the bottom and you're feeling it. So this did not happen overnight. So in order to get back to a, an amazing job that it was, it's going to take years. We have, like I said, it's a big giant onion. We have to peel these layers off. And we would be peeling layers off for years to get to the point of where it would be proud to be a New York City police officer. So, yes, it was the greatest show on earth. But it was the greatest show because it was a show that we got to watch. But we also, we were actors in that show. We participated. When something happened, we were vital in that show. If there was a mass riot, if there's an arrest that needs to be made, we actively took part. We took part with pride, and we did our job, and we had support. Now, you're just watching the show. That's it. You're just another bystander at the circus because you can't take part. If you do take part, CCRB is coming after you. CCRB, you're going to have a target on your back. CCRB will get you. And it's just a matter of time, and I hope the cops understand. Right now, by the grace of God, the police commission still has the last say in your discipline. But it's only a matter of time before CCRB is going to be in charge of that, and the police commission will not have any say. So you're going to have zero police perspective in your discipline case. And that's scary right now. That's exactly what I'm saying. And that's why I revert back to what I was saying. Well, I think that all police officers should be involved in field work. So uh, I understand what you're saying. And, and I do think that we need some retractory time. We need some time away from actually engaging the public so that there's no post-traumatic stress and that you're actually decompressing. But I think that matter can be dealt with with training. I think that police officers should have various types of trainings to make them well-rounded human beings, make them better people. So, for instance, if my, myself and my unit is out there uh, aggressively retrieving illegal firearms, maybe at some point, the entire unit gets a month away in some training where they get some leadership training or financial training to understand their pensions and get time away. And then other officers could fill these seats to give them a chance to decompress. And so they're not suffering from any traumatic stress. But I do think that these civilian uh, positions or these administrative positions can be filled by civilians, maybe retired guys or someone that has some type of 
police experience, maybe someone that works at John Jay, things of that nature. But I do think police officers are trained to be out in the field and that it should be a level playing field. I think everyone should be out in the field serving in that manner. Uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, it doesn't make it right. But and I, th I think there are some very select few jobs in the police department that must be uh, conducted by police officers. And I think maybe such things as intel, certain things were vital information. But for the most part, I think as a whole, I don't know what the percentage would be, but I think most positions can be handled by uh, someone in a civilian type major. I, I, that, that's just the perspective I have. So, and I think that correlates to this. Yeah. So my, my, th my thought on that as a whole is the same way that I don't like CCRB making being the judge, jury, and executioner for police officers when they don't understand their job. It's the same way that I don't want civilians in charge of police officers either and making all the decisions because that's that's the thing that like you know when it comes to training when it comes to integrity issues when it comes to things like that i do believe you need police officers and like i said you could do away with a lot of i'm not saying that all these units some of these unions are some of these units are ridiculous i'm not saying that at all like you don't need a cop in the photography unit I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like training. I'm talking about, I'm talking about things where there's financials involved, big money, like for integrity purposes, for department purposes, I do believe you need uniform members. Um, at least some of them, you don't need a heavily staffed, you know? Um, so that was that. Um, that's, that's just my feeling on that. And, and I think it wouldn't be an issue. None of this would be an issue if, we recruited properly if we treated our officers correctly if we had clear leadership and you know i and i am hopeful i am hopeful for new york city i'm not hopeful on the mayor eric adams i mean if lee zeldin wins i believe he'll turn the conversation more normal i think you'll see a shift with eric adams go more towards the middle um, I think you'll see a lot of things, him be more of a moderate and take a step back and just and just focus on hanging out with the boys at night at the club um, <laughs> and staying away from the, the you know, because I mean, honestly, at this point, I, I mean, I think that's his best his best thing. Just go hang out with all the guys, go dance around and and that's it. Like because and go out to dinner because you're obviously not in the game and you you your heads, your ego's way too big. It's way too big, um, you know, but I did. I did a podcast with Bill Pepitone. If any of you guys get a chance, listen to that. I mean, the guy basically labeled out the blueprint for New York City. I mean, if, I, if I, we implemented what he was talking about here today, you would see major improvements overnight, overnight, overnight um, in, in all aspects of, of life in New York City. Um, so I think it, it really comes down to the vote. So I'm still hopeful. Um, and then we go on to an NYPD representative didn't address many of the issues cited by the cops who talked to the post, but said <laughs> the department and policing continues to evolve in a positive direction. It's that's that's a funny statement. It's who said that? A NYPD representative who didn't address many of the issues didn't so ignore the issues. 
I'd say that we're evolving in a positive direction. And I guess we're reimagining police work as everyone flees. Um, we are seeking out individuals to be part of this change and the future of the department, the rep said. The NYPD's goal is to attract a diverse pool of candidates interested in serving the city. Joining the NYPD means taking an oath to protect and serve your fellow citizens. If that's not the biggest line of bullshit I ever heard in my life, I don't know what is. The, the, so the NYPD is the most diverse organization in the world. Forget about police department. Um, so I don't know what you're diversifying any further. I mean, that's just disingenuous. And you chased out, again, under the vaccine mandate, you predominantly targeted black and brown people. They were overwhelmingly affected by the mandate. So I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You know, and that's even Adam said, oh, this is my chance to diversify by chasing out black and brown people. And, and, and again, I don't believe in I don't believe in diversity. I believe in giving everyone an equal opportunity. I believe the best men and women for the job and you do that and it'll be diverse. You know, what, what, do, you, what do you think about this statement, Tim? Is this a great clear statement and does this make you want to rah 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 and sign up again let's go do another 20 and be part of this change well john let, let's be honest at this point at this point in time if you and i were 20 years old right now and we said you know what we want to be new york city cops do you think you would get the job i could before you even answer i can tell you right now 100 percent, i would not make it past candidate assessment they would say with my military background and the way I look, the way I talk, and, and that I'm too much of an alpha male that I would not get this job. Do, would you agree on that? Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I think they, they would – and I think it would be an easy – they would try to fail you on, on the psychological evaluation without you even saying anything that flags. I, 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 absolutely. I, I, I agree with you. I, I – it's been my opinion, and I'm, I'm hoping that I could find someone, maybe some type of whistleblower from candidate assessment. I haven't had, spoke to anyone yet from candidate assessment that could actually solidify what I've been saying. Because what I've been saying for the past couple of years, I remember one day I was talking to one of the sergeants, and he said, oh, man. I, I could see just the, the, the look on his face and just the – he just looked defeated. And I said, what's going on? I said, you know, he was, t he, he was in a position to, to teach a new guy. and. I'm not singling everyone out. There are some, some in the new era that are have potential, but to generalize as a whole, I, I, honestly, it's just most of the men and women I see are just not cut out for police work. Let's be honest. So he said to me, he said, "Oh man, they're just hiring anyone." I said, "No, no, no, no. Let's be honest. They're not hiring just anyone. They're hiring and they're seeking out a specific type of individual." And the persons I believe that they were seeking out were meek, timid, and docile. And, and he agreed with me. And you can see that as a whole, this was the type of people that we were getting. Why? Because it's my firm belief that they were seeking out people, one, that did fit the, uh, the diversity with, you know, when it comes to identity politics and part of this woke movement, which has no place in policing. The diversity should be in your education, your experience, your military background. That should be the diversity. That shows your 
capabilities and how you'd be applicable to do this type of, of job because police work is not just a career it really is a calling so certain it ha- it, certain type of people do this job they have to want to put others before they put themselves and, and the other caveat to that is i believe that they're seeking out these type of individuals because these type of uh, of persons will have l- less engagement with the public they will show more restraint it, it, the odds will say that most likely they will use less, uh, they will engage people less and not use force. They'll use that buzzword, de-escalation, which to me means that they're actually put themselves in a position that's going to get themselves hurt, bodily injured, or God forbid, uh, their own demise, which is sad uh, because you and I would not conduct police work in that manner. So I do think that you and I would not get the job at this point in time, this generation, that absolutely not. I think they would, I think that if anyone shows any signs of alpha male or alpha female, clearly you're not getting this job. And for them to talk about diversity, that that's the way to seek out uh, qualified police officers, obviously they never took a ride and took a look at PSA 7. Because I worked at PSA 7 for eight years. Eight years, so it's it's almost half of my career. And at PSA 7, I was the minority at the precinct. Most of the police officers at PSA 7 are of Dominican descent, some are Puerto Rican, some are uh, African-American, some are other various types of Hispanic. Uh, and I would say very few are, are Caucasian like myself. Uh, so, I mean, this was a, a completely diversified precinct and the, the precinct mirrored the community. Most of the police officers uh, spoke Spanish and, and, and the community I was in, most of the residents uh, did speak Spanish. So the, the precinct was correlated with the community. So when they talk about needing to diversify, we're already there. So and what else do they mean by that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. And, and she, it, it, the department representative goes on to further state, while recent events... Ooh, hold on, I just lost this article. <laughs> um, so it's... While recent events outside of the department's control, where the hell are you? That's a pretty long article. All right. So here we go. While recent events outside of the department continue to present challenges to recruitment efforts, we continue to focus on the positive result that happens when someone joins this organization. This is a phenomenal police department. Each and every day, police officers help and protect people. I mean, this is like, this is company man statement 101. This is not the reality of it i mean the reality of it is you're going to join this department at the worst time to be a police officer in the worst department to be a police officer in in all of history of policing i mean right now is the most stressful time to be a police officer in the nypd which is the most scrutinized department in the world, the most scrutinized organization in the world that has more oversight than any organization in the world. Your mental and physical health will deteriorate when you enter this job. And that is true even in the good times. 
even in the times when the, the, you had a mayor and a city council and, uh, and, you know, and I still believe the overwhelming majority of, of New York City residents support you. You would just never know that by turning on your local TV station or listening to your local politician or even listening to the cowards brass that are appointed and and who are appointed by these politicians so i do believe the overwhelming majority in new york city still supports you but even in the time when there was a mayor that supported you and all these people that statement that i just made would be true you would be working grueling hours you would be dealing with the dregs of society you would see things every day multiple times a day that most people will never encounter their whole life you will question everything your soul will be tested you will be scrutinized every which way to sunday um and you will develop a very thick and hardened skin and soul and now you're coming in and i just i i the statement couldn't be any more false than what it is you do, it, it just couldn't be it just it's 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 so it's so ridiculous i don't know you got anything well, on that you said it best obviously this nypd rep is a company man or company woman, and I would put my money on it as probably a chief or a an inspector, someone obviously at rank, uh, an executive on this job to give us a, a statement as such, because they know that's a complete lie. But that's the information they're going to give to the pipeline to the public. That's a complete farce. And, and I'm I'm going to make a statement, and I know many of the people that watch us they might not like it, but this is the truth. I'm going to tell you right now. One time, I thought, you probably thought, I thought this was the best job ever. That, wow, I thought I was blessed. I was so lucky. Wow. I, I was so excited to come to work. And, I, John, I know you remember the same thing. I didn't want to take days off. I didn't want to go sick. I didn't want to miss anything. I would have stayed at work 24 hours a day if I could. And so that's another thing I say. For guys to talk about that they're tired and they're not getting time off, there was a time I never wanted time off. I just wanted to come to work because it was so much fun. Because if it's fun, it's not work. So right now it's, it, it's work because it's enjoyable. One time, it was the most amazing job. But I'm going to say this right now. It's the worst job in America right now. It is absolutely the worst job in America right now. To me, you have to be out of your mind to want to take this job right now. If they, I'm, I highly doubt that chiefs are out there are pushing their kids to take this job to do neighborhood safety teams or things like that. No, they're going to put them in positions for two to three years and then they get them in a lustrous unit to get them their shield. They're going to make sure that their, pep their records don't get peppered up. It's absolutely the worst job in America. So whoever this NYPD rep is, I'm calling you out, please. If this is legitimately how you feel, please come on our podcast, identify yourself, and tell us why you see it and how that correlates to now. Why are we having mass suicide? Why are we having mass exits? If this job is so amazing and has all the opportunities and people are lined up to take this job, this is absolutely ridiculous. And you keep lying to the public so that, listen, these people at the top, obviously they're very self-serving, right? Not everyone, but the ones that are driving these lies to the public and not caring about their rank and file, clearly it's self-serving. And it's not about money, obviously, because most of these men and women could get 20, $25,000 a month, but it's about status. It's about status amongst their boys club or girls club, whatever the case is. But 
this is absolutely ridiculous. We need to change. I've been saying this for a long time. I honestly, I think that we need to change the uniform structure amongst the police department. I think the highest ranking uniform members should be, uh, the billet should be the commanding officers of the precinct. After that, we could have just a select few chiefs, maybe three chiefs to oversee the entire job. To have so many different chiefs, we're seeing all these different units. All this information gets convoluted, and we have all these different men and women that are trying to seek out these illustrious type executive positions. There's, there's chiefs, there's positions that are made up that just clearly don't need to exist and just a waste of money for the city. Uh, I'm sure you probably agree with that. Well, I, 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 you know, I, I, I think that there's definitely way too many chiefs and there's way too many bureaus. Um, I don't know that I hate the structure per se, you know, but there's definitely too much. I'll tell you what there is too much of that needs to go. There's too much civilian leadership at the top. You know, Mayor de Blasio instilled all of these assistant commissioners, deputy commissioners, all not from police backgrounds. And I would if that would be the first thing I would do is weed that out. And by the way, who have an anti-police sentiment. So that's a big problem for me when you have anti-police people who have marched in anti-police events, who supported defunding the police, like our good commissioner Dermot Shea, who supported it. Not only did he support it, he supported it 1000 percent. He supported it 1,000%. But at least he put his name on it, right? Like this department representative, I mean, this is an official statement. Like why isn't their name in this article, right? Because obviously it's not it's not, there, it's not actually what they feel. They're just doing this to earn a paycheck. So they'll lie to the public. They'll basically shit on their own, their own supposed brothers and sisters right supposed right like uh i, I you know because again i i don't i don't i'm not buying the statement anymore either and here we go from the man himself <laughs> every new york city police officer knows why the department is experiencing staffing crisis pba president patrick lift said in a statement we have said it ten thousand times the below market pay and crushing workload are driving the finest to pursue law enforcement careers elsewhere. And I think that we spent enough time debunking that bullshit. Um, but <laughs> play the video again. I think he might have been, I think he might have been the department representative. Actually, I think he might have been the guy that was saying this shit. Um, you know, and I mean, take it where you're getting it from, you know, it's not the below market pay. If it is, I mean, honestly, step down, Pat. Why didn't you take the last contract that with no givebacks? Look at everything you took away from these guys. You helped formulate tier three. I mean, come on. Like, if it if if pay is the problem, step down. You're the problem. You helped it. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, I I mean, I, ridiculous, ridiculous statement. You know, um, that's it. That's all he has. Um, you know, what, what do you what do you think about uh, a Pat Lynch statement? You know, it's funny the way you were saying it. You almost sounded like him. I can almost hear Pat Lynch giving that statement out loud. You sounded just like him, and you were doing it. <laughs> but come on, that's absolutely ridiculous about the market pay. I mean, we we say this all the time. Again, if it was twenty five thousand one hundred and things were good, guys wouldn't care. Yeah, I'm sure they are complaining. Honestly, 
I'm sure they are complaining about the market pay. I'm sure that is one of their gripes. But the reason why they're being so vocal about that is because they can't express everything else that they're feeling because it's just a mound of issues that are happening right now on the job. It's just getting pushed down on them. The morale is so bad. So these are just tangible things that they can actually voice. Um, maybe they can't actually illustrate or articulate all the issues that are happening to them. And that's, that's an easy one to touch on about the market pay. I mean, listen, things are so bad and I have no money. I mean, honestly, you know, and, and I'm a firm believer that money is not everything to bring you happiness. But, I mean, if everything else fails and you have no money, well, what else is left? So I, I, I do see some correlation, but it's not everything. If, if the job was great, if you went to work and you felt supported and you had a great time with the men and women you were with and the camaraderie was amazing, and it was an outlet from home, and you felt great at work, and you were proud to you wore that uniform, and there was a smile on your face, and the people smiled at you, and the pay wasn't the greatest, well, you know what? It would be a great balance. You say to yourself, you know what? I'm not making the money that I think I should, and I have to be patient right now, and there may be some issues with the contract, but everything else is great, so I might not be, I, I might not have the, the dollar amount in my pocket, but I'm rich in love, and I'm rich in happiness, but here, you're suffering on all ends. So now the pay does become a bigger issue because with everything else, it's not the, the main issue, but it starts to resonate more in your mind because every, everything sucks. Everything's bounding on you. I, there's nothing good about it. And then you go home and now you, you're prob probably some of these men and women are probably miserable when they come home. So you're going home to your wife or your husband, miserable, and you have no money. So you, your, your significant others looking at you like, well, what do we, we don't have any money to take the kids on vacation. We have nothing to do. And you're miserable. You know, so it's just a mound of things. And these cops have no outlet. They have, they have nothing to look forward to. Morale is so bad. And you know what? I blame the leadership. Morale is instilled by leadership. That's one, one other thing I learned in the Marine Corps. God bless the Marine Corps because I learned so much. It's the best thing I ever did in my life. And, and let me tell you something. They always would preach that. Morale comes from leadership. So if the morale is bad right now and men and women are leaving this job at a mass exodus at a mass rate, it's the leaders to blame. And I hold them accountable. So it's particularly this NYPD rep for giving company information. Well, God bless you. Enjoy. Right. You'll retire and then you'll become a commissioner there. But you know what? At night, you have to look at the man upstairs. I'm not a religious person, but you know what? I do believe that you have to look yourself in the mirror and be able to sleep at night and ask yourself, did I do the right thing? So are you doing the right thing? Absolutely not. And I'm calling you out on it. No, that was great. That was very well said. Um, you know, and you're going home to no money and on top of all of the insanity you have to deal with. And then you can't even make a plan with your wife. You can't, it's not like you could plan dinner. You get your vacation time. And even that's low for these guys starting out too. They get low vacation time. Another thing that was bargained away by the guy you're looking for to save you, you know? So that's another thing because um, you should have more vacation time because you need it because you could never make a plan, um, you know? But I think overall, reading this article, um, I think it's one of the most damning articles on police morale itself. However, it doesn't go far enough. And, and I will say that it doesn't go far enough. If I had to title this article, it would be low morale brought on by vaccine mandates and far left progressive policies. 
and incompetent leadership and cowardice in the appointed leadership in the NYPD, because that's exactly what's going on. I mean, this is not, you know, I, you know, the forced overtime and the nepotism's always been uh, a part of the job. And I don't think that'll ever go away. It's just the nature of hierarchies and humanity. I don't know, like, how you would ever defeat that. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't, I, I don't really have, you know, we spoke on it about as much as we could on it. Uh, but I just, again, I said this whole thing is not, it's not this phenomenon. I mean, this is politically created crises. We elected an, a communist for eight years who hates the cops. And then we elected one of the worst cops in New York City history to actually make it to retirement to be the crime fighter when he's never fought crime and he supported all of the progressive insane leftist anti-police pro-criminal bills to come here and fight crime so and then a point and 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 by all means the only thing that they're doing is robbing the city blind of every contract that's going out and it's going out by way of giving people like phil banks a security contract you know you're paying people for you're paying people to be police um consultants they're telling you Oh yeah, you need you need to hire unarmed security guards to keep the violence down. And then those same people just happen to own a security company. So they got paid on the consulting end. They just happen to own a security company. And guess what? That security company gets the contract for the unarmed security in MTA. And that just happened with Phil Banks, who runs the police department from 375 Pearl Street, in which is an NYPD leased building. So he runs it from there. And then And let's just go even a step further for the homeless people and the mentally ill people. We're going to send billions to not for profits of failed programs that have zero, zero success rate. And and that's what's currently going on in, in, in the NYPD currently. People leaving in droves. And and I personally think that they're happy about it because it's it's lowering. Again, this is just another lowering of the budget. This is just a temporary solution. While they rob the city blind and bring it towards complete collapse, economic collapse, they this is just another thing to hang their hat on, on why crimes rise in. Oh, it's this phenomena. No, it's not a phenomena. The phenomena is people not voting. Get your ass out and vote. This is the night before election day. Tomorrow's November 8th. If you haven't already, get your ass out and vote tomorrow. You know, that's it for me on it. What do you, what's, what's your, what's your take on the article? Well, I got a question for you before you think. Do it's really a two part question for one do you think there's a place for identity politics within the police department? And second, do you think there is, uh, you, well, obviously, you know, you know how I feel about that, but do you think that there is identity politics right now within the police department? There is 100% identity politics in the police department currently. I think identity politics, politics is the most murderous ideology in all of history. Every place it's been implemented Millions of people have been slaughtered. Uh, that holds true for every region in this country, uh, in this in in this world. It's never happened in this country other than during slavery, um, and it's. 
we're going to do a whole show on diversity, equity, inclusion. We're going to do a whole one on the implicit bias. Um, and yes, I think that identity politics is being brought in in a way to divide. You know, if I sat in any of these trainings and we'll go through them in depth and we'll go through our, our own feelings and I would love to have a retired member of service, recently retired person of color to come on while we do that show um, yes. to, uh, to get their take because it's meant to cause division. It's meant to say, hey, what about me? And then, the, and, and then on the other side of the aisle, hey, well, what about me? It's meant to cause division. And that's currently what we're seeing. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's skin color is taking the place and gender is taking the place of competence. And it's a lie. It's a lie. And I don't believe it. In New York City, you're going to come to New York City and tell us we're racist. I'm sorry. You'll never sell me on that. Any of these people that wrote books or these other things, it's all a lie. It's all a big, 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 big lie. Well, that, that's that, that's what I'm referring to. It's unfortunate, but I think that when the, when the uh, statement earlier in the, in, the uh, in this article, it's about the abuse and amongst the cops himself, the div the divide that they have right now. I do think that identity politics is responsible for it, and that's why the more that we talk about this, I listen to, and I realize that when they say diversify, I think that's exactly what they're referring to. Because if you look at the color of our men and women, if you look at the the size of our men and women, the genders of the men and women that we have. I mean, we have all walks of life. I mean, in, in, in New York City Police Department, we are so supportive. We have a Hispanic society, right? So we're supportive of diversity. We have goal, right? We're supportive of our men and women that are, uh, that, that are part of the LGBTQ community. We're supportive of our men and women that have Slavic backgrounds. We're supportive of our men and women that have Italian backgrounds. We're supportive of men and women that are in all different types of organizations. That's why we've had fraternal organizations, but yet we're all one. So, but, but now we come to the point where they talk about diversify to make this a better department. But, but I really think that when they talk about diversify, I think they really get down to identity politics. And I, I think that's an opportunity for us to talk about this at a later podcast, but I think that's part of the divide. And I think you could agree. So, I think this article, as you said, doesn't even scratch the surface. And this uh, NYPD, rep, uh, NYPD rep is given, I mean, company man bullshit. I hate to say that, but bullshit information. And I think this article does not even scratch the surface. And it goes way beyond the information that's provided there. And this department is crumbling. It's unfolding. It's unraveling every day. And it's unfortunate. And you and I have said this in the past. These cops, unfortunately, no matter how much they get beat up, they're human punching bags. They go out and do the job. So you've said it before, John. If you were mayor, why would you pay these guys? Why? They're still going to go out and do the job anyway. Why would you get rid of CCRB and help them out? Because they're still going to go out and get their records peppered up. And then when, when, when it's time to put them on the shelf, well, cycle out new guys. So for my men and women that are still out there, you really have to start seeing the big picture. And you have to see that these politicians are dividing the men and women amongst each other. You have to respect each other within in order to get respect for the public. This department is eating itself. So please, we really need to look at these things. We need to analyze them. 
and we have to learn to love each other. This department is crumbling. And here we are at 265 Police Live. We are the experts. We are giving you the truth in a manner you never heard before. We're not going to give you a statement like this NYPD rep, a company man statement. It's absolutely bullshit. It's irresponsible. That's disingenuous. I, I, I don't know. I think that statement's actually worse than Pat Lynch. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, listen, that's just the whole goal of what we're doing. We're just saying from our point of view, you know, I'll spew out whatever nonsense you guys give me. I don't really care. I don't care how I get beat up or how disingenuous people tell me I am. I don't really give a shit. Uh, I think it, <laughs> these, this is like, this is like having a conversation in the car or in the precinct or in the lounge or whatever, or talking on the phone, somebody I haven't seen, you went to the academy with, and that's just what we're looking. We're looking for real talk. I don't even think we touched the surface of our critique of the the article but i do appreciate the reporters for writing this article and highlighting it so it is a little peek into it um i do believe it's a piggyback off this podcast you know i thank everybody for again for coming out and listening and all your support and the messages and i actually spoke to somebody who partook in that that article recently today um so you know and we got a lot more shows coming i got a bunch that i done that i haven't put out i think the next one i'm putting out is uh i interviewed sal greco and you're gonna hear the hypocrisy on that and then me and dim got a ton of content that's coming out so stay tuned keep listening uh do us a favor make sure you subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to and we just started a rumble account we're gonna be putting videos out there uh, a lot of a lot of people are requesting that so if you guys could just do us a favor subscribe to that rumble channel and uh and also give us a like on the videos and again it's new york's finest retired and unfiltered podcast outstanding brother you got it